Welcome to Savage. I'm your host, Kelsey Kenry, CEO, wife, and mom of three. This is where you find the aligned strategy and mindset shifts to unleash your power, unlock your freedom, and step into your full potential as a CEO. Every episode is full of tough love and hard truths with a side of tactical guidance to expand your success. You ready? Let's do the damn thing. I was telling someone the other day that the only thing more painful than changing and transforming like that is to stay the same, you know? Welcome to the Bravehearted Podcast, where we are changing the way you get inspiration by allowing you to hear resilience and victory in hard stories. We discuss new methods on handling life situations so you can show up confidently in your life. We are different because instead of just giving you inspiration through stories, we give you actionable tools to make the change that you want to make. Let's live bravely today. All right, guys, welcome to episode 27 of the Bravehearted Podcast. I am Kelsey Kenry, a personal development coach working with women all over the world to find their voice, find their courage, and take action in their lives. And before we get started, we have a great author that is going to talk to us today, but I do want to say that some of the material that we talk about is deep and can sometimes be controversial. So please use headphones when you're listening in public or if you're around children. So as you guys know, on the podcast, we are forever talking about therapy and the importance of therapy and what it can do for your life. So we've actually partnered with BetterHelp, betterhelp.com. It's an online counseling website. So you can go on and get a therapist and they will match you with somebody and you can do therapy right from the comfort of your own home, your car, wherever. So you can get 10% off actually your first month with BetterHelp. You just go to betterhelp.com forward slash bravehearted. And of course with me, I'm going to use it because last episode you almost said it, but then I drew the line to it. So I'm going to say the hostess cupcake with the mostest. Oh, you know how I love me some hostess cupcakes, girlfriend. <laughs> cupcakes are life. Um, <laughs> hey guys, Mindy Mercurio here, career coach. And I help exhausted women let go of fear to find passion in their work. Outside of being very excited about hostess cupcakes, I am also incredibly excited today because we do have Bobby Khan with us. Bobby is an author. Um, she wrote her memoir, In the Shadow of the Valley, which is a memoir of her experience growing up in the Appalachians, which I actually grew up very close to the Appalachians. So I'm very excited to learn more about that and dealing with some domestic violence and struggles that went along with that. So Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. So Bobby, I'm just going to kind of get right into it here. And I would love to know, obviously we are in a very interesting time in our world. We have a pandemic, we have 
racism and really just the turning of what I feel is a, a very big opportunity for, for change here. And I know that you, obviously because of your book and because of your experience, uh, you understand about um, abuse and mistreatment and the importance of speaking up with that. So I would love to hear kind of your experience and as it relates to right now and how how speaking up is so important. Well, thank you. I think uh, it's, it's really interesting to have my book come out at this time. You know, there's, there's no like predictability and certainly not like the kind of smooth and the the expected problems or rollout that one normally has when a book comes out. Um, But I think it's really fitting because I feel like life is, you know, it's, it's all about change. It's all about growing and growth. And we are at a pivotal, pivotal time in um, the life of our country, you know, to see so many things happening at once and coming to the surface. I see my memoir as my ultimate act of speaking out and claiming justice for myself in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the people who wronged me in the past, like seeing them punished isn't a form of justice that I will be able to experience. But I do think that in my case, Justice looks like me being able to tell my story and claim ownership of it. When it comes to Black people and people of color in our country, you know, justice has been deferred for hundreds of years. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about things like the, the civil rights movement and pictures that we've probably all seen of you know, children being integrated into white schools of Black people sitting at restaurant counters and being taunted. We've moved on largely from that kind of behavior in public. So I I think about all of the indignity and the, the pain and the frustration that so many Black people have experienced, not to mention, you know, physical violence and abuse and rape, you know, reaching all the way back to slavery. Mm-hmm. While, while white people moved on in a, um, you know, progressing and making those kinds of activities and actions illegal, we never did anything to provide justice for the people that were wronged. They just were slowly given, you know, smaller, small amounts of freedom. And then a lot of people just expect everything to be okay today. And I think things haven't ever gotten to the point of truly being okay. They've never truly been just. And we've never reckoned with the the history of racial violence that is the, the foundation of our country. And it's the foundation of our society. Everything was built on that violence. Mm. So... So I see this time and the speaking out as, you know, necessary for us to make a real shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's been simmering for a very long time. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great point because I think that there's there's we did um, another interview and we talked about uh, white privilege and and racism and I think as a white community we are at the very least all becoming so much more aware now of what's really been happening because it it is easy when when you're privileged to just remove yourself from it. So thanks for your input on that. My next question for you is being that you are a victim of abuse and mistreatment, I would love to know how you found your voice after going through that. Well, uh, it was a really long process um, to, to get to the point where I'm at now. But I think that being able to write always helped me to stay connected to my voice, even when I didn't express myself, you know, vocally and, um, you know, and I didn't feel ready to stand up for myself or to claim sovereignty over my body. I was still able to stay connected to the part of me that knew I deserved to have a voice. And so it was really the process of writing my memoir had a lot to do with me discovering my voice and really claiming it. Because as I was writing, I realized that I could take my story and instead of writing it as, you know, well, here's this terrible thing that happened to me and this is so sad and I feel sorry for myself. Well, first I realized nobody wants to read that, right? Because there's a lot of suffering in the world and um, it's easy to, to feel our own pain. Mm-hmm. And what I needed to do was to be able to give the readers a story that they could connect to. And me feeling sorry for myself was not something that they were going to connect to. Mm-hmm. So even with the very first draft, when I was writing the initial um, piece as my graduate thesis, I, I uh, revised it and reworked it to eliminate anything that sounded self-pitying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, I wrote the majority of it like in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> when I picked it up and did a serious revision, like eight years later, you know, I, I found some parts of it were still really off-putting for me or like to reread. Um, so that process helped me see this as my story to tell. And it helps me see myself as a storyteller with power. Like someone who I can write about bad things that happened to me without feeling like a victim. If you know what I mean, like not, not feeling trapped in a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love that view. And it's very, very relatable to my situation. I'm currently writing my first book and it's a very interesting mix of like my story integrated into a self-help book. Um, basically what I did to rise from my shame and my rock bottom, but I definitely understand the feeling of being in that victim mentality. And it's so easy to, to stay there because these terrible things happen to you 
And so you're, you know, you get stuck in that and it's paralyzing to think about (laughs) one of the ways that I say it now is that I was able to turn embarrassment into empowerment because it's, it's about what it can, what it can do for you. And I love that you recognize the empowerment that comes from writing because that's something we suggest so, so often. And like every, every episode that we've done where we've had somebody that, that shares their story, it's always, almost always like writing is a piece of that just because it's so powerful to get that visual Mm -hmm. feedback. Mindy, did you have something you want to say? Yeah. So I, you know, things that a lot of people realize when they're kind of delving into their story and owning their story and kind of writing it down is there's always something that surprises them. So what was the one thing when you were writing out your story and rereading it to yourself, what surprised you about it? That's a great question. It really surprised me to realize as I was reading that I thought that my story could help other people. You know, some of some of my experiences seem so um, unique and unusual to me, like given my interactions with other people who didn't have like the childhood that I had, for instance, or didn't follow the same trajectory through early adulthood. But as I was writing it, I realized like, oh, there are a lot of points here because my life has covered a lot of ground there's probably going to be somebody who can relate to, you know, having made this kind of choice before or having had this feeling before. And, you know, just any aspect of my experience, I realized there's going to be somebody else who's been there. And that was actually why I chose to include a lot of those more embarrassing or potentially shameful experiences or in my own choices in the past, because I realized that if I didn't have the courage to share that kind of stuff in my book, then I couldn't really reach the people I wanted to reach. Mm. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to put it. Because so often we think that being vulnerable, we're scared of that because we're scared that people will dislike us or people will disconnect. When in reality, what happens is we build stronger connections with the right people. Yeah, I actually had someone reach out today and she commented that she had made a lot of the same bad choices, bad in quotation marks, as yeah, I have always. And she said, but I only see the good in you, like your granny. Mm. And, you know, it was just so touching. I mean, this is someone who's a bit older than me. And yet, you know, she took the time to let me know that she could relate and, you know, that, that there was something empowering to see her experiences articulated in my mm. memoir. So, yeah. and that's what I did it for, or a large part of what I did it for. Yeah, like there's, there's, it's, it's such a, you, you want to do it. I feel like for yourself, but it's like a bonus to know that you can connect with other people and possibly help other people. I would love to know because, you know, just from, from reading about you and and what you've been through, which piece of your story do you think was the hardest to overcome? I would say my young adult life, particularly where I made choices or uh, allowed situations to unfold that 
really endangered me, particularly with men and, you know, sexually, I, I think of them as sexually predatorial mm. situations. Yeah. You know, I went along with a lot of male desire or the desire to dominate or the the male's desire for his own just sexual gratification for various reasons. You know, I can look back and see how I was conditioned to act that way. But Mm. I think that in terms of like seeing myself and being able to love myself, that was the hardest thing to overcome was the fact that I saw myself as someone who had let men use her. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I I completely understand. I did the same thing. So (laughs) I'm with you 100%. I know that that's, that's very, very like resonates a lot with me because even in, in owning the different pieces and the different boxes that, that I call like all the, I always say we have different boxes and like we keep some of them and then put other ones in a storage unit and we expect them to stay there. And we realize we're paying rent regardless. So we should just take them out yeah. and unpack them. Um, oh, wow. And, That's a great way to put it. <laughs> um, so for me, it was the sexual piece that was the hardest part of of owning my story too. I think it's just realizing that uh, that it's that it's your body. It's like something that's that's physically attached. Like you live inside of it, and you you gave that away, and you let somebody use it. But I know for me, what helped me to move past that was the the building blocks of you know owning the other parts of my story. And it was kind of building the courage through those ways of like, okay, if I, if I conquered this piece and I saw the connection that it brought, and if I, you know, talk about my arrests and if I talk about the drug use and and the alcohol and things like that. So it's kind of like building blocks. Did you, did you notice that within your own story that you kind of drew courage from the other pieces? Yeah, I, I, that makes sense to me. I hadn't thought about it in that way. You know, I, th- I think that the, like that part of myself, the, the part of myself that didn't have, um, that was sexual, but didn't have sexual agency, like mm. that, that one, that's the part that seemed the hardest to love. But, you know, I was able to work on loving the other parts of myself that had been vulnerable and abused and not loved by others. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, that's the same thing. It's like starting with, starting with the easier parts of myself to love and then building up to that one that just seemed like the most daunting task of all. Hmm. So tell me this, in, in this story of yours, what was your rock bottom? <laughs> so when I was... Let's see, I think I was 30 and I had my, um, my daughter, she was, she had just turned one and I had moved back to Berea with her and my son. And my son was eight at the time. Yeah, I always have to calculate their ages. <laughs> so I'd moved back to Berea. I left another abusive relationship and 
you know, I thought that I was just going to be able to step back into this nice world that I'd left behind with my friends and like just the comfort that I used to have there. But instead I realized like I I've kind of woke up one day and saw that I was renting this house that was dark and it had that feeling of being dirty, like it hadn't been cleaned properly for decades. And um, there were so many things not functioning well within the house. And I write about that. So I won't delve into too much detail, but it was just this really potent metaphor for me. And Mm -hmm. then I was walking around in the house one day thinking about like all of the unhappy relationships I'd been in. And I was thinking, why, you know, how do I keep getting this, these awful relationships when, you know, this guy was a hippie and this guy was, you know, a country boy and this guy was such and such. And this guy was a guitar player. I was like, what's the common denominator? And I realized, oh, it's me. That's me. I was like, well, shoot. (laughs) You know, so, and at that time, I mean, I was scared to open my mail. I'd bring mail in and just be like, I don't know what it is. You know, I paid my rent and I paid my water and electric. And I remember one day I had $5 to last me the week. I was teaching as an adjunct Um, English professor at a university Mm. and I was just like I don't know you know I was I was scraping by but you know that realization that I was the common denominator in all of those unpleasant situations was um, (laughs) although it was painful it really spurred me sorry spurred me into action and it made me realize, like, oh, it's time for me to do something and to fix this because nobody's coming to fix it for me. Yeah, yeah. And we are we talk so much about taking action. That's that's really one of the biggest things that we want to inspire with people is it's about, you know, this is a safe space for people to share their stories, what they've been through, and then also how they've overcome. So, you know, talking and kind of taking uh, off what you just said, what did you do after that? So I found a holistic life coach. Uh, I Googled for someone to work with just because of something that someone else had said like a year or two prior to that. It made me think, well, that's a starting place. I'd worked with therapists before and, um, you know, just never really felt like that model worked well for me. Um, and and so I wanted to try something a little different. And I, I found two life coaches that had the, the kind of approach that appealed to me. And one of them offered a sliding scale. So I was like, I'm choosing her. And um, I started going to see her. I drove two hours each way, once a week. And, you know, at this time when I was terribly strapped for cash and, um, yeah, I went every week and basically just started putting my faith in what she would tell me, even though I didn't like it. And 
It was often very unpleasant to hear. <laughs> sounds, sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, self-awareness is not fun when you're, <laughs> when you're not happy with who you are. You know, yeah. it's like it's painful to take an honest look at yourself. But I, I really started to work on, you know, taking responsibility for my choices going forward. And, you know, taking responsibility to get my life in order and to prioritize shelter and well-being. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was a long process. I'd say I did that for two years, but things just started falling into place, you know, as I started doing that work on myself. And, um, you know, I still do a lot of examination of my thoughts and my, my belief system my thought process, you know, and like how, how I, um, how I interpret things and the way I see myself in relation to others, which I think is always going to be like the, the, the best term for it that I have heard recently was backwards. Like I think there's always going to be some part of my thinking that's a little backwards mm-hmm. just because I grew up in a very strange and dysfunctional way, you know, and so certain neural pathways have been formed, but that's okay. Like I can be happy and healthy and you know, find my purpose in life. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's interesting, you know, obviously, like you said, the kind of path to self-awareness and what's uncovered, it's uncomfortable and it's not really a fun process. And I think that that's why a lot of people aren't consistent with it. That's why a lot of people will go to therapy like a couple of times and be like, well, I'm not a different person or, you know, yeah. a couple <laughs> sessions, even with my clients, like I have a, I have a 10 session requirement that like, that's where everybody starts because you can, you can open the boxes, but the, the boxes are going to be so painful that your first reaction is going to be to close them and put them back. Right. Yeah. So I like that you recognize that it's not a quick process and that, you know, you're like, I went for two years and every week, like it's not, but, but it's, it's so worth it. And, and in that process, you see, like you said, things start aligning and things start coming into place. And it's like, you do a little bit of work and you make a little shift and it shows up in in so many different places. So Mindy, did you have a question? I was telling someone the other day that the only thing more painful than changing and transforming like that is Mm -hmm. to stay the same, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. you think you're comfortable because the unknown is scary and facing our fears is scary, Mm. but, but none of us just wants to live and die and, Mm. you know, feel trapped in who we are. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know, but so many people do because it's, it's Mm -hmm. exactly what you said. It's that fear of the fear of the unknown because we get so comfortable in our discomfort, right? It's like, right. This this sucks and I hate it. And waking up every day, I'm miserable, but at least I know that tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to be miserable too. (laughs) Like, right. That's the couch you hate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we always like to give our listeners a little bit um, of kind of like some steps that they 
can, that they could take. And I think you've listed some, some great things just that we always talk about, you know, writing things and reaching out for help, whether that's therapy or whether that's life coaching. If you're looking for a life coach, I happen to know somebody, her name's Kelsey, but you know, (laughs) but, um, yeah, just reaching out for help is, is such a big, such a big thing too, because I feel like we, I thought that was just my husband. (laughs) And I almost feel like men are really bad about asking for help. Like Eric, my husband, when he goes in the store, like if he can't find something and I'm like, why don't you just ask somebody? And he's like, no, like, Mm, rah, rah. <laughs> like, I have to find it myself. And but I, th- I thought I, that was just my husband. Yeah, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's all of them. Um, but you know, women, I feel like are we can be worse when it comes to something for ourselves. Like, ask me if I'm trying to find something in the grocery store. Sure, I'll ask ten people. But if it's like, oh, I said I was going to write a book for like two years, three years. What am I doing? I'm not writing the book because I need help. Like that kind of thing. Asking for help when it comes to investing in ourselves in any way is always the hardest for us because we don't, we just don't prioritize ourselves. And I'm sure that, you know, with you having two children too, did you feel like that it was, it was harder because it was almost like your children could be a distraction for you to focus on? Uh, when it came to writing the book specifically? When it came to just your transformation and starting to take care of yourself. Uh, you know, I felt like it was imperative that I not perpetuate the cycle of trauma mm-hmm. um, that that I had been part of as a child. Mm. And when I saw, when I realized that I had a tendency to pick unhealthy romantic partners, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, oh gosh, like, I don't want that for my daughter. And so, and I, you know, I don't want my son to see that as normalized male behavior. So, you know, I was, I was pretty motivated to give them a mother that I felt that they deserved and needed. So it was, I, I did a lot of the emotional work though in a hidden way. And I think that that's something women do a lot too. Mm-hmm. They, they process emotions and work through emotional needs quietly. Um, they, they'll hide it. And I certainly did that a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that was the best choice for my kids. You know, looking back, I don't know if I should have shielded them from all of it mm-hmm. because they had no idea. I mean, they they think I have an accent, but other than that, I think they think I'm mostly normal, you know? So <laughs> I guess they'll get to grow up and write their own books yeah. about that. Yeah. And I'm sure it will be great as they get as they get older too, to share more and more with them too. I mean, that's a pretty relevant thing that I think we're all learning right now is is that, you know, to raise aware adults, we need to raise aware children. Um, So kind of along the lines of, you know, obviously you went through multiple situations of domestic abuse, correct? Yes. And so I would love if you could give um, our listeners some insight into recognizing maybe some red flags that could lead to that. And along with that, if they, if somebody is struggling 
with a relationship that is verbally or physically abusive, what would you suggest for them? So one of the, one of the early signs I think that I've noticed is um, when the partner, the partner's mood seems to change like very, very quickly and unexpectedly. Like when your partner suddenly is angry and you've, you know, because you made a joke or you you dropped something or, you know, some, when it seems like the, the level of, well, it's almost always anger, but when it's, when it seems like the anger is way out of proportion and, and maybe even fully unexpected, Hmm. um, considering what you just said or what just happened, I think that's like a huge red flag. And yeah, to where you're like, whoa, like what just happened? That was, I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my, my conditioning um, has made me want to like fix the situation and assuage the, the emotions, you know, like calm things down and make peace rather than saying, well, this is crazy. You know, this is, that, this is not okay. Like that's yeah. not a not okay reaction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was always motivated to just go fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. And fixing it also often for me has felt like fixing my own emotions, like change the way I'm thinking about something, you know, offer more you yeah. know, comfort and like, doting on the partner and like trying to you know calm them and smooth them oh my gosh no that's not good that's yeah that's not a healthy adult relationship Mm. like if I if I change myself then maybe they won't act that way anymore right Mm. like you can like you can fix the situation by um you know like like adjusting your your demeanor and Mm. you know care about what they care about and try to make it all better. It's really hard for me to put that all into words, but I do think it's... Yeah, I completely understand. I completely understand what you're saying. And I think that that's, it's really common in what you just said about kind of molding to whatever the other person likes. That's something I talk about with a lot of clients that are not in relationships. It's like, you meet a person and you instantly kind of drop everything that's important to you and just do what they want to do because you're like, well, they're not going to like me if I don't like cars or I don't like trucks. If I don't say, yes, I can go with you at 5 PM, even though I have something else for myself, you're not going to like me anymore. So I get exactly what you're saying. And I think that that's a perfect kind of explanation of a good red flag to look out for is kind of that irrational behavior. Those, those very big reactions to, um, smaller events, I guess, would be a way to put it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's so relatable to, like, so I relate to that so much, especially if someone has come from, like, a passive abuse, like, if you had abuse, like, as a mm-hmm. child, like, that instinct is absolutely to kind of massage the situation. My mom and I were actually just talking about this, like, two days ago, because I grew up in an abusive home um, with my father, and we were talking about 
past relationship of mine um, where the guy would just, he would immediately just get angry mm-hmm. for no reason. And um, after like a month of seeing this, I was like, wait a second, like there's, there's something not quite right here. And I ended up dumping him and like, it's another long story for another day, but I know exactly what you're saying because my instinct was to immediately try to calm him or do whatever I could because on the inside, I don't know if you felt this, but it's almost like a physical reaction, like your entire body like oh, lights yeah. up and you're like, what can I do to fix this? Right. right? Like it becomes your job to de-escalate this person, mm-hmm. but it's also an illogical response. So your mind is like running around in circles to try to figure out how to make it right. And, you know, it just doesn't, it, there is no logic to it. It doesn't fit. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. But we try to make things make sense when, you know, at least some of us are wired that way. Yeah. And I feel like women do that in general too. We want to make sense. We want to know why. We want to know where everything goes, what time it's going to be there, who's going to be there with it, what we should wear. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just figure everything out. We want to put everything in those boxes. So taking it from there, if somebody listening is in a verbally or physically abusive relationship, what would you tell them? Well, this is just my opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. So, (laughs) but (laughs) at at this point, you know, after being in relationships where I've seen people vow to change or apologize and behavior gets repeated and, you know, I've seen, seen them unfold in several different ways. I think the, the solution that I would recommend is get out and don't communicate with the person anymore. Like, don't try to fix it. Don't think you're going to get closure. Don't look for, I have little faith that um, people can change without taking a step away from a relationship and working on themselves for a while. I mean, if they are the person who is the abuser, I don't think, and you know, someone with clinical knowledge might be able to correct me but I don't think there's a great chance that they're going to make those changes with inside of the relationship. And the, the emotional and mental and sometimes physical toll, well, often physical toll, even if there's not physical abuse, it's just too high. So if, I think if you don't want to see your mother being treated that way or one of your children or your best friend, then that tells you what you need to know about whether you should be there or not. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. And I 100% agree with with everything that you said. And I'm sure obviously Mindy has experience with this too. So it's been really hard for me at times to, to see like whether or not a behavior was okay, you know, Mm -hmm. the way I was being treated. So that looking at it as, you know, would I be okay with this if, so-and-so's husband was doing this to her that has really helped me and it's helped me have conversations with friends who've been in abusive relationships too Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we're willing to put up with things because we think it's nuanced and we you know we have love perhaps wrapped up into the situation but if we can externalize it it's a lot easier to see objectively like that's it's just not okay I think a lot of women too, sometimes like they break out of that cycle, but then, you know, 
the guy or maybe even the girl, if you're a man comes back and says something like, I love you, I'll change, whatever. And then like, you want to go back to them. So I feel like, you know, for me, you know, having somebody to hold me accountable was really powerful. Did you have that when you were going through that? No, no, I didn't. For the most part, I didn't have anyone to hold me accountable or to give me that kind of insight into the more abusive relationships that I've been in. But I have been lucky to have someone for a while now, a close friend who, you know, I can go to her and I've gone to her a lot and said, you know, what do you think about this? And here's how this conversation unfolded because I was again dealing with a situation where my partner's emotional responses seemed disproportionate to the situation at hand or to what I had said or done. And um, my friend was able to say, yes, that's, that's illogical. Yes, this is not healthy. So while I suspected it, you know, I, I still needed that support and input from someone else who I trust to have just healthier relationships herself, you know? So I felt like she's a bit ahead of me as far as being able to see things objectively. And so luckily she was there to help. Mm. Yeah. It's so important to have those people that, that you trust. So that's, that's, that's huge. And that's exactly, you know, when we talk about asking for help, it comes in many different forms. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I really, I love your advice of, you know, paying attention to those reactions at first. And also I really do love the advice of, of getting out and leaving and stopping communication because I do believe in, all the scenarios that I know and in, in women that I've worked with, it, you do need that space in order to process. And that's really with any, any of our emotions. And if we're not given that space, it's, it, we make it too easy to kind of go back in and to be accepting. It kind of, I was telling a client today that it's one thing to set boundaries, but you have to also hold your boundaries. And I think that that's right. the part that a lot of people slip up on. So, but yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing today. Before we go, can you just tell our listeners, like, where can they buy your book? What's the name of your book? And where can they find you? Sure. Um, so my book is In the Shadow of the Valley, a memoir, and it's available on Amazon. And then um, bookstores will be able to carry it if they wish. So you can check with your local bookstore. And my website is bobbycon.com. And I'm on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So okay. free yeah. to find me anywhere. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we link everything in the in the show description too. So thank you again for um for sharing your story and for being here and, and sharing insights. And uh we look forward to, I'm sure, talking to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm excited to to hear what people think about this. So if you guys are struggling with being in a physically or verbally abusive relationship, again, just set your boundaries. Take care of yourself first. But Thank you for listening today. Make sure that you share it on social platform, tag us. And Mindy, 
what are we talking about next week? Next week, we are going to be talking about how to keep going when it's hard, when life is tough and when maybe you don't have the motivation, how do you keep pushing Mm, forward? Yeah. And it's very, very relevant right now. I think that motivation is something we talk about so often. And I think that there's so many hard things that we're going through in this world right now. So looking forward to having a chat about that. But first, let's go on vacation together. (laughs) Yes, let's go on vacation. Yay! (laughs) Um, All right, guys. Thank you again for listening. Please share, tag, give us a review. We appreciate the love. It's necessary for us to keep going and to keep spreading all of these messages that we're trying to spread. So thank you for listening. And don't forget to live bravely today. If you are a CEO or entrepreneur, I want to invite you into a space that's unlike anything out there. CEO Power Hour is a free monthly live experience that you can join in person or virtually to get your questions answered to fulfill the desires for your business. Inside this room, you bring your biggest goal, the obstacles you are experiencing, or anything you want my expertise, eyes, and ears on. This guidance, along with the ideas and inspiration from other powerful women, allows you to be fully immersed in the energy of being supported and learn in a completely new way so that you can expand your business and your life to the next level. I created CEO Power Hour to bring together powerful business owners for connection, collaboration, and coaching. This is your invitation, and it's free. The link is in the show notes, so I hope to see you at our next monthly meeting.